Good morning, everyone, and welcome again to another episode of uh, Digital Nomad Skills and How to Become a Digital Nomad. I am your host, Rahim Hameda. And uh, last episode, we had uh, an NFT talk with one of our guests, uh, Green Cross. And it was a very intense conversation about the NFTs. And there was so much to speak about that we decided to create episode two with him on the same subject. So Green, I would like to welcome you another time. And thank you for being one more time on the show and giving us another uh, piece of your time for another week with us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure having you as always. So I hope that everything is great and you had a nice week. And uh, and yeah, let's uh, let's uh, jump into the the topic. So last time we spoke briefly about NFTs, uh, a little bit about how you started, how you made things, and uh, and what led you into becoming and an, into going in, into NFTs and. Uh, kind of a little bit of the, the problems and the issues that have. And then when we were speaking after the show, you told me that like you have created like kind of a manifesto or a, or a guide for people to, to create and to go into NFTs. So first tell me a little bit about this guide. What does it, uh, what does it talk about? Who is it for? That kind of stuff. Well, this is a guide that I made actually for musicians who wanted to start on the NFT world, but it actually works for everybody. It doesn't, all, it doesn't need to be a musician for musicians only. It works for anybody who wants to start on the NFT, uh, on their NFT journey, let's, let's call it like that. So it covers uh, mostly all the basics of creating uh, your first NFTs, creating your, your wallet, uh, funding it with some Ethereum, uh, it, it's it's very much a com- it's very com- uh, it's not so yes. comprehensive, but it's very it's, it's it's very let's say the basics are all there. So so imagine like we finish this episode and I could be able to do my NFT after this. Episode. If you follow, if you if follow, follow the instructions, uh, what is there, you could uh, definitely make uh, your first NFT uh, by following what I just wrote there. It's 23 points, actually, where I cover from what is an NFT up to uh, how to put it on, on the market and sell it. Nice. Uh, I'm very excited. Including the, including the marketing part where you have to be always like really, uh, you have to find somebody to buy it, of course, if you want to sell it. So you need to actually... Uh, do that part you know you have to market your your work it's up to you because um, this is the thing that nfts mostly are uh, made by artists or companies so when you are a single person it's uh, it's about you doing most most of the work unless you have uh, a lot of fans and stuff like that who would actually help you with this you know like when you are releasing some music people talk about it or tweet about it for you so that's this is assuming that you have nothing like that that you are a single person with on a mission to start your own journey all right okay great stuff let's take us on the mission green cross please all right all right so you're looking for so yes this is basically um for example uh, all you have to do to start is to first of all realize what it's what is an nft which is NFT is just the, acro- the acronym for non-fungible token, right? Uh, non-fungible means that 
uh, it's an immutable certificate of authenticity and ownership that lives forever in the blockchain. It's what it means. What is the meaning of, of non-fungible? Let's make it easy to understand. So, for example, when you have a dollar bill, uh, you can have uh, you can exchange it for another dollar bill, and it makes no difference because both they have the same value and it's basically the same, yes. right? Uh, that's that's a fungible thing. That's fungible because it you can exchange one for the other, and it doesn't really make a difference because the value is the same. But a non-fungible token means that there is no other like that. And then there's no way to interchange for another that is the same. There's only this one and it's unique. So you may have uh, 2000 of different NFTs in your wallet, but each one of them is, is unique and it's a single unit that will not be replaceable for another. So it has a, its own price, its own value, and you can sell it or buy it from another person but you cannot exchange it for another one that is the same. For example, in Bitcoin, we have, the, it's a fungible token, fungible, because one Bitcoin is the same as another Bitcoin. If there's no other, I mean, you can exchange it between and it's going to be always the same. There is no, no, nothing that makes one Bitcoin unique that, is not, uh, uh, that could not be exchanged for another. So it's, it's the same, the same, um, Example as with the dollar that I just made, right? Yes. So those are fungible tokens and non-fungible is unique tokens that can't be replaced by another. It's simple like that. So you have it, it's, it's, that's why people make artworks and, and things that, uh, that are original, let's say, that cannot so, be copied or, or anything. So an example for that in the real world will be like money. That's like a, something like a fungible and non-fungible will be like a painting, uh, 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 the Mona Lisa, for example. It's, there's only one. Exactly. Exactly. So, okay. exactly. I mean, there are copies of the Mona Lisa's they, they, they but have made, the but this, the, ori exactly. the original is only one and it's there and it's, uh, it's in, in, in Paris and it, that's the one that there's no other like that. Okay. For example, even if, if you would make if if uh, if there would be two two original copies of the Mona Lisa like made uh, at the same time and one with a little bit of a difference, it, it would still be non fungible because they are two. They look the same, but they are not the same. Even if they were made by the same author and everything, so it's like uh, they are uh, th because there are also tokens that are non fungible and they look almost exactly the same but they are still non-fungible so it's it's a it's a concept that it that is not it's so easy to grasp but at the first uh, on the first uh, moment but as, as as you start getting into it you understand what is the difference between the fungible side and the non-fungible side but the is the easier way to say it is like there is no other copy like that and you cannot interchange it for another that it's uh, uh, unless it's it's a different value i mean you cannot take one and interchange for another because uh, it's there are no two that they are the same let's say it and that's all in the blockchain which is uh, a public ledger which anybody can can see and check so it's like um, it's a certificate of authenticity and of ownership right so you are the owner, that's the certificate of ownership. And authenticity is because it has a provenance. Where did it come from? When was it minted by who? Who bought it first? Who bought it the second and the third? And that, like that. There is like, yes, up to the, up to the, to the, to the origins, let's say. Okay. Yes. Yes. All right.
And then, well, we, we can go ahead and say, what is the blockchain? Well, the blockchain is a public distributed ledger of transactions. You know, you can picture it as a public Excel type of spreadsheet where all the transactions made on that specific blockchain are recorded. Anyone can audit transactions in a public blockchain. Therefore, everything is transparent and cannot be ever changed. In order to change a record on a certain blockchains, especially those that, are, uh, that use a delegated proof of stake algorithm, we can talk about that later, what that means. You need to make a, something that is called a civil attack or a collusion of the 51% of the validators. So they can actually change what, what is happening on, on the blockchain, uh, on, on the ledger themselves. But this is not common, right? So, so sorry, I, I'm just going to stop you here for a second. So basically, if 51% of the people who are on that blockchain decide to change something in it, they can? Yes, but this Even is if it's uh, the previously made they can change the how the 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 blockchain works but not the previous records let's okay. say so they can uh, change for example how the the cons the consensus mechanism works they can change uh, the code that is behind the blockchain and everything but they cannot change what was already written before they can do it in a way that it gets more hidden, so it gets more difficult to find out. But it's what is there is so it's there and will always be there. This is the 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 the, the end up the end mechanism, let's say, yeah. like, so, like so, the the end game. So to make things a little bit simple, so basically, uh, uh, blockchain, let's say, it's a record, and it's uh, it's yes. uh, it's transparent for everybody to see what's in the record, but no yes. one whatsoever can change the history of the record. But this record right. works in a certain way, and this way can only be changed if 51% of the people who are working on in writing on that record basically they want to change how it's futurely the future will be will be uh, recorded. Let's say, right? Exactly. Something, something that you got like it that. right. Okay. You got it right. And this is this 51% is not is the people the validators, right? The, those who process the transactions. Let's say the miners. They call it the miners. Easier to understand. So it's not like you and me if we don't if we don't actually validate. No, it's the people who run the servers that run the blockchain. If mm -hmm. they all get together and say, look, we're gonna change this and we're gonna make it uh, different now, and they all collude, you know, like say, okay, let's do this together. Nobody sh should know. But of course, the people will know after all, you know, this happened already in a blockchain that I used to use back in the days called Steam. It was bought by some guy called Justin Sun. They bought uh, most of the validators and they, he took money from the exchanges. He, he made the exchanges like Binance uh, to, to lend him the money that was there already from the users, you know, like... Uh, this is the thing that this is something that we will go let, later. It's called uh, when you have money in Binance, you don't have it yourself. Yeah, Binance has a, it for because you. Because it's centralized right? finance. Right, and then what happens is that they uh, they are uh, they have they are custodial exchanges. That means that they have the money for you on your name, but it's not that you have it. So what happened is like this: Justin Son, he has friends between all of these exchanges, and said, "Look, let let me use the money that." your clients have there so i can vote for a proposal and pass it on this on this uh, on this blockchain right so he took money from from the exchanges what made him gave him the 51 percent power because he had more money than 
all the other uh, validators and passed uh, changes on, on the blockchain that, that uh, most of the users didn't want. So that's what, what we called, the, it was a, a Sybil attack. That's how it's called, right? So in, in, this, in this website, Sybil with, with, uh, with Y, right? Okay. Um, I have a, it's, it's, it's not something easy to explain, but if I want to say, it's like a Sybil attack is a type of attack on a computer network service in which an attacker subverts the service reputation system by creating a large number of pseudonym identities and uses them to gain a disproportionately large influence, right? So what he did is what he, he created a lot of what they call sock puppet accounts, and then he distributed the money between them, and that made him have more, I mean, have more users, more validators than those ones that were chosen by voting by the ones who were using the blockchain before, because this works like this. There are validators, and to be, I mean, if I want to be a validator, I need to have votes from the community, from the people who are using the, the blockchain. So I said, okay, I want to have a validator. I want to run a server. And then, okay, you as a user, you vote me. And then it depends on how much uh, tokens you have on your account that, you, that uh, so, I mean, if I have less tokens, my vote is not so powerful as you who have a lot of tokens. So it works in a way that he got all these tokens from the exchange the changes voted on himself on the sock puppet accounts and made him be like the, the biggest, yeah, yes, the, the biggest, biggest validators. Yeah. Ex exactly. So it was a complete, uh, like a hack. That's what he did. That's in this, this guy is very known. This guy is a, a billionaire mm -hmm. from China and he, he's the owner of the Tron uh, blockchain. And yeah, this is uh, no, okay. I mean, his reputation is very, let's say, uh, questionable. Right. So, I, th I think right? that, that, okay. So that, that's kind of, that, that is what is validator, right? That is uh, how, uh, how you the can validate take a validator and the, and the minus work. Yeah. Okay. Yes. This is, but this is only in this type of blockchain that have the, they have a, a consensus, consensus mechanism called proof of stake. Right, yes. it's proof of stake. Is it, it? It means that you prove how much money do you have, and depending on how much money you have on your, uh, how much tokens you have on your account, you have more power than the other to pass proposals. Right, uh, the proposals uh, that he made, he made proposals that would change the way that the blockchain work, and then he passed it himself because he had the tokens to back that, that those votes. It's that how it works, right? So. We can go to the next uh, point, which is what, what is a validator? So a validator is a blockchain, a blockchain validator is, some, is someone who is responsible for verifying tra transactions within a blockchain, right? It's, uh, it's normally a server, a computer that is always running and it's saying, okay, this, this guy sent money to this guy. Okay, this goes to the ledger, right? To the public ledger. And, you know, a validator is also ca called a miner or sometimes a node. These are computers that process each transaction on the blockchain and validate them. Once a minimum amount of miners have validated a transaction, then consensus between validators is reached and, it is, and settling the time frame when the transaction took place. After that, the transaction is included into the block and the block is then added to the chain. The validators re receive a reward for each block they finish and add to the blockchain. 
And in, in the case of Bitcoin, the reward is quite substantial per finished block. In the case of legacy, legacy blockchains like Bitcoin and Ethereum, solving a block takes enormous amount of computer processing power and electricity. This is one of the many reasons that make cryptocurrencies valuable. So, yeah, this is mostly what it is. You know, when, when somebody makes a transaction, you have to wait for the block to be mined. And that means that the, the, the several computers agreed that this happened and then they added to the blockchain that is never to be changed anymore. And it's accessible that anybody can access and read it. And anybody, I'm saying, even you and me, if you have a, you go to the internet, you can check transactions from people and follow them. It's very transparent. This is what, what takes down this. Everybody says that, no, these uh, cryptocurrencies are bought, uh, used to launder money and all that. So, you, uh, you know, when I, when I see that, I say, but this is, means that you don't know how it works. Because if you knew how it worked, you would actually uh, know that you can check out this stuff in the, in the blockchain. I mean, you can actually follow all transactions in the blockchains and see who made it and how made it. And then the people say, yeah, but you, you are anonymous. Yeah, of course you're anonymous. But at some point, you need to exchange this for fiat money, for normal money. And this happens only in an exchange. And what happens? you need to have an ID in your, in your account in order to exchange. So there's no way to be a completely anonymous because at some point of the, of, the of, the, of the process, you need to have your ID, your photo, your birth date and all this in the exchange so you can actually convert uh, cryptocurrency into normal currency. So in the cryptocurrency side, you can see all the, the transactions uh, from where it started to where it ended. Even if you go through several um, wallets and several transactions to try to mask it, you can actually follow that. But anybody, I mean, you can, it's just clicking on links until you find the origin or, and the end. There, the end will be in an exchange. And this exchange, if the pol uh, when, there are, uh, when the police wants to do it, all they have to do is a subpoena and they will get all the money, um, they will get all their IDs from the people who are involved in this, in this transaction in the exchange. So it's pretty, pretty straightforward in that way. So in the, in the past, yes, in the past, there were no, uh, no requirements of having uh, an ID associated with an account in an exchange. So in the past, yes, in the past, it was very easy to launder money like that. But the regulations that are in place right now, they, they, it's, it's almost impossible for uh, somebody to get out of this without having to show an identification or involving somebody into it. Let's say that you have somebody who gives you an ID to let you, but in the end, there's always a way to track who is the one who did this transaction, right? Okay. Yeah, I get you. All right. So we can go to, uh, for example, we go back to NFT. So what, what, is, what does minting mean? So minting is the process of tokenizing your work and creating an NFT. When you mint an NFT and tokenize a digital file of any kind, you actually create a smart contract on the blockchain. The terms of, of the smart contract will depend on the options given by the NFT marketplace at the moment of minting and could potentially be whatever you want them to be. However, Keep in mind that different marketplaces offer di different options for minting NFTs, right? So minting doesn't mean it's for sale yet. So you can mint an NFT, but it's there. It's not for sale, right? So you can perfectly mint an NFT and never sell it. 
uh, it will sit on your wallet until you send it to someone else's wallet or until you decide to list it for sale later. If your NFT, if your NFT is not for sale, it could even be more valuable. You know, does it make sense? I know it doesn't make sense, but <laughs> there are NFTs who are which are not for sale and they are they are valuable because everybody wants to have it, right? Yeah. For example, a big artist just mints an NFT, a one of one, and never put it for sale. It's like Everybody wants to start making offers to, to, to this uh, because you can actually make offers to an NFT that is not for sale. So it's like, for example, I got a, an NFT from an artist that he actually minted it into my wallet without me asking, right? And then I got offers for this uh, super high offers. But the thing is that I could not accept the offer because the NFT was programmed in a way that I could not even accept offers, I could not sell it, I could not move it, I could not burn it, I could not do anything, but it was in my wallet. So it, it was, was like it yours, kind of, it was yours. This is the thing that the, then this was the, because this was like a, a magic performance by this artist, you know, this is one of the, this is, this is um, an artist called Pac, which is the, the living artist who has sold the, most expensive artwork in the world. He made 200 million in one day with one artwork, right? Um, and then he, what he did is that he minted these uh, NFTs to 30 people only. So I was one of the 30 people that he minted these NFTs into, into my wallet without my consent, and I could not do anything with this. So this is the thing that he said, what is actually um, ownership? What do you know about ownership? So I had, it was not mine afterwards. It was in my wallet. I could not do anything about it. I was not the owner. It was in my wallet, but I couldn't do anything. The Who's next the day, what did he do? The owner is the one who made it afterwards because he made it. It looked like I did. I minted it and I did not mint it. He did it by himself. And then he took the NFT and burnt it without my permission either. Burned it, it means that it, you burn the NFT, you send it to an account that is that nobody has the, the, the keys to it. So it's, it's the burn address, right? When you don't like it, when you make a mistake in an NFT, you burn it and then you send it to this address that is there dead forever, right? Nobody has, can touch it. Well, what happened is that he burned it and then half an hour later, he took it back from the burn address into his address, into his wallet. So it was like a magic trick, you know, like a performance thing. So he... He said, it, the thing is that uh, the token was called hate, right? Hate token. So how did it work? He made a tweet and has said, said to me, if you ever had uh, made, uh, said a bad comment about me before, just put down the link to it, right? And then I had made a, a, a bad comment before about him because he took, he did, he made a pixel, right? One pixel, one, and sold it for $1 million. Like there's, it was like, he made like a statement. That's what he said. And I said that it was a piece of shit, right? And then I put the, I put the tweet on it. And then a couple, with, couple weeks later, I got this hate token and 30 and 29 other people from the whole world, only 30 people had this hate token. And we were like, oh yeah, nice. We are one of the 30s and whatever, but we could not sell it. We could not do anything. We could not move it. It was there forever. So what happened is like, thanks to the blockchain, it's, uh, it will be always in the provenance of that token that it was me who minted it. And, I mean, it was minted to my wallet. So in the end, it's like a tattoo, let's say like a digital tattoo. So 
I will always have hate in my wallet, let's say, that I, or I was the first one to get that hate token. So he, he only proved, or she, because nobody knows if this is a woman or a man, that uh, there is no ownership in this. So if it depends on what do you program on the smart contract. It can be ownable or not. So the way that he did it, he, he used the function that is called the move function, which is what he used to move the token around. So this function was never before used. He he, they made it in the in they programmed it into the smart contract that he used for this performance, and then he he could actually move it. And then after he finished the whole, the whole act, he said, "Okay, I used the move function for this." So, and this this begs the question: the question, what is actually ownership? You know, do you think you own anything? You own nothing, right? Because for example, they say when you when you have a car, you don't actually own the car. You own the paper that says you own that car. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you don't actually own the car. You cannot say the, the car is mine, the house is mine. You own the document that says that that car or that house is yours. So it's basically the NFT is the same. You own a document that says that that file or that transaction or whatever that it's yours, but the actual thing is not yours. So it's a very deep and, and crazy concept about these things. But I like to make it more simple and say, okay, you you actually own the, the ticket that says that, like the receipt, right? The, the the purchase receipt. That's what you own from the from everything that you make online and the NFTs and everything. So okay. it's a pretty deep stuff. Pretty deep stuff. So right. yeah. Now we're at which point? Number six or seven now? Or I think we are into eight. minting. All right. Let me see. How does the artist get paid, right? No, I think how no, are who's, the collection who's, displayed? Who's the owner of the NFT? We spoke about that, right? Yes. And then how are the collections? Uh, who's the owner of the NFT? How are the collections displayed? Yeah, your collection will be displayed on your profile page of the platform where it was minted and in other platforms that are compatible with said NFT. For example, the, the, the OpenSea and there are, uh, it's a it's a marketplace where you can see tokens from Ethereum listed uh, on your collection, right? So it, it doesn't mean that it, it's the only place. When you list one NFT for sale, you list it on, a, on, a, on one platform like OpenSea, but this is also uh, extrapolated to other uh, platforms. Like for example, there's a, another platform called Rarible. So when you list one in, NF in, in OpenSea and you go to the same NFT in Rarible, you can see that it is for sale and, and you can buy it straight from Rarible or from, from OpenSea. So what's, what's there the name are of the other one? Sorry. It's called Rarible, like R-A-R-I-B-L-E. Like R -A -R -I -B -L -E, like Rarible. Rarible. Radical. Yes. Okay. So basically, they are connected. So, for example, if if I if you put an NFT on OpenSea, it will reflect on Radical, right? Yes, uh, for sale. Yes. Okay. And the other way around is not the other way around because I don't know how is OpenSea made. But for example, if you put one for sale on Radical, then it's not reflected on OpenSea. So you need to do both both transactions so okay for example last time i listed one on on OpenSea, it was already on sale on rarible but when i listed on rarible it was not on up on open so it depends on 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 the platforms themselves okay so some of them right? are like one-way channels some of them are like two-way channels like okay exactly okay exactly okay uh, open is the most uh, used uh, marketplace for for selling nfts 
for in Ethereum, right? Because there are other blockchains that are cheaper to use like Tezos. And this is not yet integrated into OpenSea, but it is integrated in Rarible. So um, it's like for the most common um, blockchain, they have OpenSea, right? For the less common, which is Tezos, is the second less, is the second common, let's say, second place. Um, they don't. OpenSea has not integrated it yet, even that they have been saying that they will integrate it for two years and they never did it. But <laughs> And then there are other uh, blockchains like Solana and other blockchains that also that you can also mint NFTs on. But we can keep going with uh, Ethereum, which is the the most uh, known one, right? So, for example, um, where are we? Where are we? Okay. We are now. Uh, how does how does the artist, artist get, paid? get paid? So, okay, as an artist, when an NFT is sold, you get immediately paid in your wallet. And if the collector who bought that piece resells the NFT, you will earn a percentage of royalties of that sale. It depends on how high did you set the royalties yourself, right? So normally we work with 10% of royalties. So for example, if I sell it today for one Ethereum and then the guy sells it for 10 Ethereum in one month, then I will get one more Ethereum because of the 10% of that sale. And that's and this is the perpetual. artist, not the owner. That's the artist only. The owner gets the nine Ethereum of the second sale, which is the 10 minus the 10%, right? So this is something that is perpetual. This is uh, forever happening and it's automatic. This is not like in the music industry that you have to have a, a, a company that goes after everybody who sold your music or played it on the radio to get the royalties. And then it takes almost one or two years for you to see the royalties. No, this is something that is automatic and it's will happen forever. As long as, this, as somebody is selling this NFT, NFTs in 100 years, it, you will, that wallet that minted the NFT will still get royalties from sales. So it's something that is forever. And let's go to the actual part of, you know, there are, there are novel marketplaces that uh, let you set royalty splits. This is very interesting because you can actually say, okay, I'm going to mint this NFT and I'm going to share the profits with some other wallet, some other artist. If you made a, for example, if you made a, an, art, uh, an artwork with somebody else, a collaboration, right? And then you want to go 50-50, but only one person can mint it, right? Only one wallet can mint that NFT. So I said, okay, I'm going to, let's say we, we, we make one together, right? And then I mint it but I put your wallet as 50% beneficiary of the primary sales and also of the royalties, right? So that means that whenever it gets sold the first time, you get half of it instantaneously. I don't need to do anything anymore. It, gets, it goes directly to your wallet. And then if the person who bought it resells it, you get half of the, or whatever we put in the percentage, because you can put uh, maybe half of it or you can put 10%, 90%. It depends on what we agree. Right, so you get a split of all the sales of the primary sales and all the secondary sales. You get a split of the royalties too, automatically. So that's 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 the nice thing of, of this technology, you know. Get it. And yes, so how you how to prove you own an NFT? So NFTs are assigned to the wallet that purchases to purchase them, or to the wallet that receives them as a present. 
for example, because I can also send, I can mint an NFT and say, I'm going to agree with that's a present to somebody else. I don't need to sell it. And then I just transfer it to somebody without getting paid or anything because it's a present, right? Uh, what it's what they call uh, the famous airdrop. You can airdrop it to somebody else, right? So since only the owner of said, of said wallet can unlock it, therefore the individual who owns the keys of the wallet and can successfully unlock it is the rightful owner of the artwork the said NFTs represent, right? I yes, mean, but that is he's the owner. Of different than what you said, right? Like you just said, like when this artist, the other one who tried to use the move thing so that like that like kind of exactly conflict with what you're saying now right it is is correct that is correct this is a, a guide that i made before i knew that a, this move function could be done exactly so it's it's like i should actually change this paragraph and say that you only own the receipt of that you know the, the receipt of the transaction that proves it's in your wallet so that's more or less what you really own but it depends on the NFT as well, because, for example, you can program an NFT and say this, the, whoever has this in their wallet owns the real artwork itself. And as long as it's depicted on the metadata of the NFT, then that makes that, makes that one more, uh, let's say, special in that kind. For example, I can, make, I can mint an NFT right now and say whoever has this on their wallet is the owner of this artwork. And it's explicitly written on the metadata so that changes the the nature of the ownership of the nft themselves so it's like a gray area let's say so we could to be to be safe and sure we can say that you only own the ticket of the transaction the okay. ticket that says that it's yours right okay right. so the nft's most common misconception you know it says well, but it's just a digital file. Anybody can have a copy, you know, right-click and save it, right? You can right-click and save an image and have it on your, on your computer. <laughs> and then it's, well, of course you can, you know, but you don't have actually the, the, something that you can sell afterward. For example, you can right-click and sell some, save something. And then what, what, what about if you want to sell it? You can't because you, I mean, if you mint it again, then you are a copy minter and that's not uh, something that is legal, let's say, and nobody will buy it because everybody will know that it's a, it's a copy that has no value. But it's, but since you have the original, if you had the original transaction, you can actually take it and say, look, this comes, it has the provenance, which, which says the artist mint, who the artist really minted it. And it's, I paid one Ethereum or whatever for it before. And now I can sell it for this amount of money, maybe less or maybe more. But it's like you cannot just right click and save a photo and then sell it. Okay, you yeah. can have the photos in your in your computer, but you cannot actually sell it. And that's that's the main difference of, of yeah. the NFT, right? It's it's kind of making sense. Like now, the, the more I'm talking, it's like I'm I'm kind of understanding it much better than before. So yeah, now now I I understand. Okay, so the, the, uh, this is where the smart contracts come in play. You know, where anyone can have a copy of the file, but only you, as the, as the owner of the ticket that said you 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 bought it, can prove that you own that ticket because it's on your wallet, because it's written forever in the mutable blockchain, and that specific NFT can only be found on your wallet. So that's that's what makes the difference between right click and saving and actually having a transaction that proves that you paid for it and that you can actually resell afterwards it has provenance that's the most important part 
provenance means it came from, from somebody who made it, who minted it, who sold it, right? It's like in, art, in the artwork, uh, in the traditional artwork, we also have provenance, but it's more, much more, more difficult to prove, right? Because anybody can really fake an artwork and look like it's real and somebody can sell it to somebody else who don't really know. Here we have how to prove authenticity because it comes from the wallet that was, that is from the artist itself or from the musician or whatever it is who made the, the NFTs. So um, I think we can skip the part of how to start as a musician unless we want to just read it because it would really work uh, for anybody else, you know? Okay, um, let's, let's skip it then. Okay. So let's go to this part of not uh, what we were talking about before of custodial, custodial uh, any, um, cryptocurrencies, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, it means there is a, um, um, a phrase that everybody, that is most of it, most of people use, you know, it's called not your keys, not your crypto. So whenever you open a new wallet or register on a platform, you need to remember this mantra because it will safeguard your funds. It means, Public key cryptography or asymmetric cryptography is a cryptographic system in which uses the pairs, two pairs of keys. I mean, one pair of keys, right? The public keys, which may be known to others, and the private keys, which may never be known by anybody except you as the owner. So the generation of such keys pairs depends on cryptographic algorithms, which are based on mathematical problems termed one may one way uh, turn one way function effective security requires keeping the private key private the public key can be openly distributed without compromising security so the public key is exactly like the wallet address right mm -hmm. where if i need to send you money you will give me your public key so i can send you to your wallet but you would never give your private keys to anybody because it's it's like that's, a password that's my password right? yes Exactly. So the problem with private centralized crypto exchanges and wallet providers is that they normally do not give you your private keys or wallet seed phrase. They never give it because you don't have custodial, uh, they, they are, you don't have custody over that phone. They have it. So they tell you that you can access your account, but the, the money is not actually with you, it's with them. Right. Mm -hmm. So when a wallet provider or an, or an exchange doesn't give you access to your private keys or seed phrase, it means that your funds are ultimately at the mercy of the exchange or the wallet provider. So if the if the if the exchange gets gets uh, get a, gets a problem with the police or something and they have to close, you can forget about your funds. It's simple like that. It has happened before already. So you must be really careful with trusting too much of your crypto to these exchanges or platforms or wallet that do not provide you with seed phrases or private keys, <clears throat> sorry. Why? Because this means that if the exchange of the wallet provider stops operating for any reason, you could be locked out of your funds and lose them forever. It has had happened before. The most notorious case would be Mount Gox. This is an exchange from Japan that they just rocked everybody suddenly and they ran out with all the money. You know, it's like, and they, they, put, we, they, need, they didn't have any more money. It's like crazy. It's, you cannot actually trust these exchanges. Right now we have decentralized exchange exchanges, which means that you don't need to trust your money to the center, to, to the exchange themselves. You can, you can exchange money using your own wallet. So you don't need to actually 
um, give them your your Bitcoin or your Ethereum or whatever. You can keep it on your wallet. That is quite recent, right? Like the decentralized. This is very uh, recent. Decentralized yeah, like, exchanes uh, are, I would chain. say, it's, right. It, it's decentralized exchanges are, for example, Uniswap is a decentralized ex- exchange. We have, uh, well, mostly yes. The the ones that, the first one that comes to my mind is uh, Tor. Uh, I'm not sure Torchain is, but probably I'm. I would say that probably is, but I'm don't trust me on that. I would say yeah, yeah. the most used one is Uniswap for this, okay. which is for Ethereum, mm-hmm. right? And that means that you log in with your wallet, and the funds never leave your wallet unless you change you exchange for another uh, coin. And you receive them back in your own wallet, so they yeah. don't have custody over these funds. Yeah, so it's, I, they... I think that the Torchain just created uh, created like kind of a similar thing with a very small fees to be paid between coins. But I'm also not like I'm not a savvy, but like uh, that's what I know. So, but we, you guys can check that uh, by yourself. Do you do j- diligence and check if Torchain is? Oh yes, I'm checking uh, here right now. <clears throat> it says the <clears throat> sorry. The network support not native Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Binance Coin, and Binance Bitcoin Cash assets. Uh, mm-hmm. Non-custodial. It means that they are yes. This is a decentralized exchange. Yes. Torchain. The non-custodial Torchain interfaces allow you to swap native assets across chain. So it's exactly that. It's a decentralized exchange. You're right. And yes. So if the thing is that the fees. The only difference is that they're on the centralized on the centralized exchange like Binance, you don't actually have so high fees for exchanging because they, you're using the money that is in their pool. So you don't actually have to go off on chain to make those uh, exchanges. It's off chain made. So there's no need to validate and have all this uh, process that costs. That is what costs the, the, the that has a high fees, for example. Mm-hmm. Now in the in what I see here with Torchain is that they have uh, uh, made it uh, in a way that is more optimized, so the fees are very very low. Hmm. But for example, in Uniswap, you get to you get uh, a very depending on what your exchange is, the fees can be really high. So it's like you pay for what you get for, right? Okay. If you want security, you need to pay for higher fees. But I say it's ultimately better to have those. Yeah, um, that's, 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 chain I think that's that's a very big uh, topic, and it's a little bit uh, diverted from from uh, from uh, the the NFTs, right? For, a little bit. Yeah, well, it's so it's always good because and you are, you will at some at some point you will need to have funds to actually mean something. So you need to go through that process. So I thought it was it's, it's it was um it was a good idea to have a little bit of of that knowledge thrown out. Because the people will actually need to have uh, to go through some kind of process to fund their wallet, right? So the most important thing here is to actually secure your seed phrase, which is your private keys. So after you make your wallet, you will be provided with a seed phrase, which is like a a series of words that you need to put in the same order. I'm going to say that because this piece of information, I know you have to write that on a piece of paper and really guard it with your life and post it in a very safe place and never share it on the internet, right? Correct. And if it, it's, better yes. to, to, <laughs> it's better to write it on a piece of paper and I would never put it on, on any computer, never copy and paste it. Don't put it on your email for fuck's sake. 
<laughs> it's like you there is people who are so paranoid about this that they don't even they don't not only write it on on paper they write it half of it on one paper and the other half on another paper and then they have one paper in one geographic location and another in the and their the other second part of the words they have it in some other place so and then there's people who's even more paranoid and then put it on 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 actual on metal because you know if the if the house burns down then yeah. the paper is gone so there 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 are um there are companies that sells you like a capsule made of uh, of uh, of of metal yes of uh, uh, stainless mm-hmm. steel yeah long lasting right? metal that doesn't change with the time Exactly. So it doesn't melt unless it's really like super high uh, temperatures. It would could last a fire on the, on a house or something. So there's people who have these devices and they have only half on, on each, and each one of these uh, halves is in a different location in different countries. So you actually need to call somebody to tell you, hey, what's the other half of the, <laughs> that I left there with you? You know. Yeah. So it's 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 pretty it's pretty paranoid, you know. But people who have a lot of money with this i wouldn't i wouldn't uh, blame them you know because there's they there can has lose been them in cases. a second they can lose them any second or somebody can come to you and beat the shit out of you to tell you the seed phrase so they can have your money so there have been also cases like that you know people who are trillionaires and get uh, somebody in their house and and, and and torture them until they get the seed phrase so or even the government themselves, you know, like give me your seed phrase because we want your money, stuff like that. So, <laughs> so okay. So we the next step would be to register on an NFT marketplace. You know, there are a huge huge amount of NFT marketplaces, but I have minted on Rarible and and another one which is called NFT Showroom. By the time I did this, I'd have not minted on OpenSea, but but I am also mostly on OpenSea right now. So. Rarible runs on the Ethereum blockchain. Therefore, therefore, you need to spend money to successfully mint NFTs and set them for sale. This is more recommended for experienced users since it incurs an investment. You know, you need to actually pay to, to get your NFT minted, right? So there are other marketplaces like Cargo, Wax, Flow, Super Rare, OpenSea, Known Origin, Nifty Gateway. So the last four, they are on the Ethereum uh, blockchain. So it's basically the same you need to actually fund your wallet to actually mint the first one right <laughs> so the next next step would be funding your wallet with with ethereum so this is so very important put, as stated put, put ethereum inside your wallet not yeah, sure. exactly okay so as stated before almost any transaction on this in ethereum blockchain incurs gas fees which are Gas fees is what it uh, what you pay to make any transaction. You know, there are depending on how how many people is using the network, the gas fees can be higher or lower. When there's less people using it, the gas fees are really low. When there's a lot of people using it, the has the gas fees are pretty high, right? Mm-hmm. So, therefore, you need to make sure that you have Ethereum in your wallet in order to be able to pay for the fees. To know the current gas fees, there there are websites that tells you how much is the gas right now. For example, if there is a big NFT collection dropping and minting, the gas fees are normally super high. So it's better to wait for that uh, gas fee to be really low so you can pay the, as less as possible to mint your own NFT. So 
To fund your wallet with Ethereum, you need to buy it with your credit card or be a bank transfer using what is known as a gateway from fiat money to crypto, which is an exchange or, like Binance. Or if you have yeah. like, or if you have already in your wallet, you can change from one coin to the other, right? I mean, if you have some crypto, some correct. BTC, with, you can change it like. Exactly. So you can use an ex, uh, a decentralized exchange or you can use a centralized exchange in any case, you know, all you have to do is transfer it to your account make the exchange and then transfer back to your wallet, right? If it's a centralized exchange, if it's a decentralized exchange, then you just make the, the, the transaction in, the, in, the, in their website or whatever they have, and you get it into your wallet. Then um, I have a, a really good uh, gateway that is called Wirex. And there is also crypto.com. They work really good. It's really easy to use. Uh, if you want to have uh, fund your wallet with uh, fiat money, you just put your, your credit card and you just charge your credit card and you will get money into your crypto.com account or wireless account. And then you just have to transfer it to your external wallet because you cannot mint from a wallet that is from a ex centralized exchange. There's people who have done this and they just lose the ownership of the of the nft why because this is not actually your account this the exchanges account that they allocated to you so you don't have the keys for that so you don't have you don't own that nft even if you minted it right so you need to mint it from a wallet that you have the keys the private keys from okay. i mean there's people who even bought nfts using their coinbase account and they just lost it they mm. don't have it anymore it's like a, a you, there's one guy I remember from one collection that I work with and then he bought one of the NFTs from the collection but he bought it using the Coinbase account so this NFT is lost forever he cannot it's recover burnt. it we can't recover it it's, it's, it's kind of a burn yes it's, 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 it would be one analogy, analogy to burn because nobody can retrieve it nobody can sell it nobody can use it so this one this, this one is gone forever yeah. it's there yeah. on Coinbase Coinbase has it. They will never use it. That's what they say. I don't know. <laughs> mm. But yeah, it's, it's, it's practically burned, right? Okay. So, so, well, after you register your account and verify your identity, because you need to do that with Wirex or Crypto.com, you'll be able to link your bank account and your credit card in order to purchase your first cryptocurrency. So if you follow the, the instructions provided by Wirex or Crypto.com to link your bank account and credit card, and once ready, you proceed to buy some Ethereum so you can later on pay the fees for minting your first NFT. For, be sure to make at least, to buy at least $100 on Ethereum. To be sure you will have enough to cover the fees for minting at least two NFTs. Yes, at that point, when I wrote this, the, the, the network usage was really high. But I've minted NFTs, for example, last two weekends. I think I minted one for $10 or so because I really woke up early here in Europe, when you wake up early, like at seven, then you can actually mint for really low price. So it depends on the on on the on the on the usage. Yes. For example, right now, if we go to check it, um, we have a cost to mint that is about twenty-two dollars right now. So it's not as high as it was when I wrote that that uh, that guide. Okay. Right. So 
uh, wirexandcrypto.com will also ser serve you as gateway if you ever want to cash out your crypto back into fiat money. So you can send crypto from, from your MetaMask uh, wa wallet to Wirex or crypto.com, convert it into fiat money, and then have it transferred to your bank account. So this is what we call the exit strategy, right? You need to have your exit strategy at some point because we need money to pay our bills and all that, right? So you make your NFT, you sell it, you will need to have an exit strategy to convert that back into money that you can actually use to pay for stuff on the real world. Unless you live in a country like uh, El Salvador where they take Bitcoin as legal tender. But that's another story. That's pretty new also, newer than this guide. <laughs> So there is an important thing to say here because your Genesis piece means is, this is the first thing that you will actually mint, right? This is the first artwork or the first music or the first NFT that you will ever mint. So I think, and this is a personal opinion, it needs to be your best work to date, right? It needs to be your best, the best creation to date. You cannot just half-ass this, you know, it has to be really good because it's the first one. And these ones can become either really expensive or really or really not expensive because it depends on the quality that you make. I, for example, did the mistake of minting the first thing that came to my mind. And this was not the best decision, right? So now when I mint my Genesis pieces on different bl blockchains, I really have a, a lot to think about and try to make it really, really good. But in the, the beginning where I did, was uh, just because I really wanted to enter. So okay, I said, well, what should I put? Okay, I make this track and I put it there, uh, a techno track and, and minted it. Gladly it sold. So, <laughs> so it's not a bad thing after all. So yes, so when you mint your Genesis piece, once you have decided which one is going to be and how, what your strategy will be in the future with your NFTs, how you will actually release them you need to have a like a, a, a like say a business plan or so of the source you know i say okay i will do once a week and every time i do a new one it will include something new i mean it depends on your creativity and what you want you know it depends on what do you really can make out of the technology we have you know so once you have decided what your strategy is you should proceed to meet your first nft and depending on the platform you're in, there will be a button that will allow you to create the NFT. Normally, the button reads create or unwearable, for example, and it's on the top right corner of the website. And if you mint one on OpenSea, you can mint for free because they have this thing called lazy minting, which is something that I don't really, really recommend because what they do is that you uh, they let you mint on their shared contract they have a shared contract that everybody uses right and what they do is that they waive the the minting fee and the purchase the, the person who buys it is the one who pays that minting fee so it means that you lazy mint something it means that it's not actually minted until it's bought by somebody and when this person buys it he pays the gas fee that is uh, the minting oh, fee right right so it means, this means, this is, uh, I've been, when I wrote this, this, uh, this guide, I didn't know how this uh, works. And the, wor and the way it works is that you're minting in a shared contract that everybody mints to. And it's a shared contract from OpenSea, from their mar marketplace. So that means that whenever OpenSea goes down, the, the, the contract will be always there. But for example, the links to the images can be broken, 
for example, if the, the, the images are, are, are hosted mostly in private servers like Google, like Amazon um, web services and all that. So if, they for, if OpenSea goes down and this metadata is not pinned to the uh, interplanetary file service, which is the IPFS, is something that I will let you know later what, what it means. If they are not pinned to this, they will be lost. So I always advocate for people to make their own contracts, which is pretty cheap right now to make, and to mint to their own contracts because you own that contract and nobody can take it from you. For example, lately we have been seeing that since, thanks to the US sanctions on different countries, artists from Iran, from Venezuela, from uh, Russia, from, you know, they have been taken down from OpenSea. So why? Because they are using, they are minting on their open contract. So that means if somebody from Iran, even if they live in the UK, but their passport says that they were born in Iran, they were taken down instantly. And they have, this has been a really big problem lately because uh, thanks to the sanctions of the US, the artists that are the people, the people that most need money right now who are living off their art, they are getting screwed by this because when you sanction the people, you don't actually hit the governments themselves. You hit the people themselves, you know, like these are the people who are getting um, um, affected by it, even if they don't live anymore in this country. So I, I advocate now for the people to mint their own contracts. It costs a little bit of gas, doesn't matter, but then you have co complete control over your contract. You can mint your own things. You can, even ex you can even edit your NFTs after they are minted. For example, if you made a mistake, you don't need to burn them. You can just edit it and resend the NFT. So it's, it's very much flexible. I will, uh, there is a website that is called Manifold, that is manifold.xyz. And this, uh, this is um, a website that lets you create your own contracts and they have like a studio where you can easily create your, your own NFTs and everything. This is what I'm using for minting my latest NFTs on Ethereum. Perfect. It's the best thing to do. So, so yeah, at the end of the episode, if you can send me all the stuff, and I'll I'll, I'll add it to the to the description so that the guys For can sure. actually find it. All right. Okay. Cool. So we we can go ahead and, uh, for example, there are two types of NFTs. You can make uh, single editions and multiple editions, right? That you can make a one one of one, what they call a one of one unique editions, or you can make several editions of one NFT so more than one person can buy it. For example, I have uh, NFTs that are one of ones that only one person can buy that one. And there, this is like the non-fungible ones, but there are fungible NFTs too, which means that they are limited editions. And for example, I have one uh, of music that I minted and I minted 33 copies of that. So there are 33 copies of that same NFT. I get it. both of them. They are. They are. All the thirty-three are the same, right? But there are. They could be only up to thirty-three, 33 pieces owners. in the world, for example. Example for for when some there are artists who in the in the real world who make copies of their own artworks and sell them instead of making only one, they make copies, uh, two hundred copies of this, and then they sell each copy. So it would be analogous to this, right? So it's a less fungible NFT. I mean, a more fungible NFT. That's that's the real uh, world. So it's like, do you have copies of the same? So yeah, there yeah. there are 
there are um, blockchains that let you do this easily, like Tezos blockchains. They let you do copies of, of, of one NFT up to, up to 9,999 copies per one NFT. The thing is that the more copies there are of the same NFT, the, the less value. The, the, exactly. So that's what it is. So, for example, a, a, an NFT that has 10 copies is more valuable than one that has 100 copies. Okay. And you need to adjust the prices of your sale. That's mostly what it is. So there are artists that are really, really, really famous that they make a lot of copies. And even then, their artworks are really uh, valuable, expensive, right? But it depends on how much and how, how famous you are, you know, how much your normal one-of-one sells for. So, yes. Once you mint your NFTs, you will want to sell it, set them for sale, right? So there are two ways of selling an NFT, fixed price and taking bids. You know, you can put the fixed price on your NFTs or you can set it for auction, right? So the people, you will accept the highest bid, right? Yes. And there, there, there are pros and cons on, of, on both sides, you know? What the first, the first uh, con that I come with the is that uh, it will be more difficult to get a higher price because people will want to say, okay, I pay for, for this what I want. But at the same time, it could be also higher than you would ever expect. So I've seen people who start bits, uh, the starting bits needs to be 0.10 Ethereum. And suddenly they wake up the next day to see that somebody bid one Ethereum for them when they would never, they would never have imagined that this would have been so high. So. It's, it depends on your on, on, on your strategy, you know? It depends on what you want. It, I normally said, uh, I've tried with um, bids, with bidding, you know, with auctions, and I've tried with fixed price. And it actually, fixed price are better uh, for me, at least, you know? There are people who only sell on auctions, for example, and they do really well. So it depends on you, on, your, on who follows you, who are your 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 collectors and all this so i think that auctions is more for uh, advanced people who, who people who have already sold in the past and have set uh, a price for their for their artworks in the past you know and say okay now i'm going to do an auction see how high it goes that's what i believe right but it it doesn't mean that is the truth it de depends on what the people will want to do so and then we come to the part where you have to actually market your entity right so once you sell it for set it for sale, you need to actually let the people know that you did it, right? So the people should know that you are you have something for sale. This is pretty uh, basic, you know. In it's as in anything you want to sell, it doesn't need to be an NFT. You need to market, it, right? So people need to know what you have made your NFT. If you are a pro artist, for sure you have a PR agency who can help you to spread the word. But normally you have to do it yourself, right? So if you're on your own, you must be on Twitter. That's what I said in the last episode, that yeah. we should, uh, first of all, work your first thing brand is create Twitter. A Twitter account. Yeah. Correct. Twitter is, on, is one of the places where most of the crypto artists, collectors, and enthusiasts are. So make, make an account, start researching has, hashtags and current NFT artists, get social, drop the occasional tweet about your work, and just build up from there. Right? There are other places like Reddit and other uh, community uh, platforms where you can also promote, but mostly I would say Twitter is the place that you would uh, spend most of your time. Mm. A good idea some of the times is, is to reach to, uh, to crypto influ influencers on YouTube 
and try to find an interview with them, you know, like, but this is very uh, difficult nowadays because everybody is, is making NFTs. So these crypto influencers, they are more like focused on higher, on bigger artists and all that. So you need to find a way to actually uh, spread the word about your work, right? If you are an artist with a considerable amount of followers, you should ponder the idea of reaching out to NFTs marketplaces where they will actually feature your work in their in their home homepage, right? So if you have quite a rich or if you are really good at your art, you could always reach the marketplaces and say, look, I just minted it. Is, this a, is there a possibility for you to showcase my work in the homepage? So this would really help you sell a lot because this is the first page that people see when they log in, right? It's like a... Like if you if you have um, if you're uh, if you make clothes and you go to a store that sells your clothes, you will ask them to actually put them on the on the window, right? Like to to display it. So it's the same thing. So we get to, we only have two points left. So we you the next one is to be start your own collection and support other artists, which is a very it's something that I really really uh, always make a big. Uh, I think people should always support other artists, you know, like uh, this is not only for, it's not well seen when somebody comes and just wants to take money out of the ecosystem. You also need to provide something, you know, you, most artists become collectors first and then they mint their own NFTs. And this is what I've been telling to my friends who come to me and say, Hey, how can I enter this? I say, well, you need to enter the community somehow. And the best and easier way is to start supporting other small artists, which in the end will be the ones that will support you when you start doing your NFTs. So for example, I have a friend who is a worldwide known DJ and he wants to start uh, his NFT collection. And he approached me one year ago and I told him, look, you need to actually get into the community, start buying from people, start supporting them, start tweeting about their art. So they sh you show support to their to, to them, and then when you come with yours, you will get supported by them. Even if they don't buy it, they will help you with retweets, with sharing your work, which is also valuable. You know, you can support the community with your tweets, which are talking about other people's art. You don't need to actually buy it, but if you are really supported, supportive, if you have a good follower base, and you just push the art from other artworks, from other artists, you are already supporting them. You don't need to actually financially support them. So you can do both ways, either helping them with publicity and buying. And if you don't have money to buy, well, just help them with, with uh, spreading the word of their, of their art. The main thing to see here is that you need to actually give in order to receive, you know, because it's not well seen from this. Uh, you know, there's so many people wanting to make money out of other people. And the community is not very much uh, happy with this, uh, you know, like this cash grabbing thing from other people. So if you're really honest, if you really want to make a, a, your, your, your career in this community, you have to actually show some support first. That's, that's something that I've learned since, since I'm here. You know, it's, when I started, I started by minting my own thing and I didn't sell it for four months. And the only way that I sold it is because after two months, I said, okay, I have to change my strategy here. So I started buying from other people. I started tweeting about other people's art. And then somebody got to know me because I tweeted something about somebody else. And then they asked me if I had something and then they bought it. So that's, that's how it, it works. So it, it's more of a networking thing, let's yeah. say. So I think it's a very good tip. 
And then, well, the last thing to say is that you should keep learning and enjoy the ride. You know, it's like NFTs are just one of the tools that musicians and artists in general can use to generate cryptocurrency. It will, you know, there are other ways that you can actually generate cryptocurrency, like mining or whatever, creating content for blogs and all that stuff. But basically, it's one of the ways. So. It's about learning. It's about uh, being on top of the new things that comes out. You need to learn every day. You need to show up every day. You need to learn from other people what they say and their new technologies and everything. It's always a matter of being on top of the things and not. If you don't do the learning, you will fall off behind. You know, you will and, always and end up doing the same that you were doing one month ago. And it's a learning curve, and it's very. It's a, it's an ever changing process that keeps on evolving all the time. So I think like it's very important, especially in the crypto and the NFT market. Things are changing a lot all the time. So you need to be like on top of things if you want to make a business out of it. Nice. Well, I, I think that Correct. was like for example was... there. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, there. There is, for example, I wanted to say really quick that uh, in the terms of learning. There are, uh, for example, platforms that are, they let you uh, earn money because you are providing liquidity to their pools. For example, if you have one Ethereum, there's, it's called DeFi, you know, decentralized finance. So you can actually, if you, for example, make some money, you make one Ethereum with your NFT. So you don't let it sitting down. You can actually put that into a liquidity pool and get out a percentage of that money every day. So that money is working for you. So mm. what I mean is if you don't know about these options, then you are more or less losing money or not making money, right? So that's the important part of it, of learning all the time, because there will be new options that would let you make more money out of the money you made. So it's not only about knowing how to mint an NFT, how to make an artwork and put it there. It's also about knowing about finance too. So you become your own bank with this. You need to care about your money and you need to learn how to make more money out of that. And that is only possible when you are learning every day about the new stuff that comes out. So that's that's the reason why it's important to keep learning. Nice. I think that was that was amazing. Actually, I, I learned a lot. Uh, personally, I didn't know anything about that stuff. And like, I think I've, it actually kind of gave me a kind of a, a round figure idea and I'm going to start practicing that stuff. I'm going to actually look into them taking the points. So I would like to thank you again for, uh, for giving much uh, as uh, yeah, all this information that it took you a big time to, to create. And uh, I will put down all the links that you're going to send me in this episode. And I'm also going to put the pointers of, uh, of these uh, points of these basically like uh, 23 steps uh, that will help people to be <clears throat> to mint NFTs and to understand how they work, and I'm sure that this will be very very useful for some people. I think that's it's some of the context. It's it's a little bit like some of the words are a little bit like uh, not very clear for for the usual users. So you have to have a little bit of an understanding of cryptos, wallets, uh, some stuff like MetaMask and all that stuff. But like we will work on that and. Uh, uh, me and Green Cross, we are kind of thinking of maybe creating a course together on on the NFTs and how to do that. So stay tuned to that. Also, if you guys are interested to, uh, uh, I just personally finished a course on how to become an online teacher. And it's like, basically, it will show you how to make from $1,000 to $3,000 a month if you put an invested uh, 
the time and the effort in it. It's uh, it's actually available now. And I'll put also a link on that to the video in case you want to go and become a digital nomad or find a way out of the nine to five uh, grid. Uh, and um, what else? I think that's it. So again, Green uh, Cross, thank you very much for coming and thank you very much for, uh, for helping us and uh, enlightening us with the, uh, a little bit about the NFT market. Now, thank you very much for having me and it's a big pleasure for me and thank you for all this because now I saw that I need to correct some of the things in this guide so I will make it so everybody can read it and have their own uh, uh, let's say their kickstart their 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 journey I'm glad thank you very much guys thank you very much for listening I hope this episode uh, was useful I'm sure it will be. So pay, pay attention to it. Get a piece of paper, write down everything, even listen to it again if you need to. And I will see you guys on another episode of Digital Nomad Skills and How to Become a Digital Nomad. I am your host, Rahim Hamada. Thank you very much. And I'll see you guys on another episode.